morning, everybody. Um, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. We're also going to jump over to John 14 through 15 and 26 after that. But um, open up your Bibles, or you can open up your Bible app and join along. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven came, <clears throat> sorry, voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And from John, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live in that day. You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he, it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by, the, by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. This, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peter. Amen and amen. <clears throat> good morning, Gallery family. It is so good to be with you guys on this gorgeous Sunday morning. <clears throat> I'm uh, uh, fully aware that um, as time continues for us uh, here, um, in, in, in our homes and not meeting in person. Uh, I'm going to ask guys, uh, continue to join us in prayer uh, as we seek God and what, is, uh, what, what the next few months look like for us and how we could gather safely and, and how we could continue what we're seeing, the momentum building in our house churches. But um, I'm just so grateful that you guys have taken the time over the past year, a little, little under a year, uh, connecting with Zoom, connecting with us, uh, joining together, worshiping God, and being a part of this community. Um, and so thank you for that. <clears throat> uh, thank you, Sam, for reading the text for us this morning. Last week, uh, we started a new series, The Promised Holy Spirit. Uh, and we shared with you, I shared with you guys uh, what 
<clears throat> what happened over, uh, about a month and a half ago when I had the time to kind of sit uh, alone with God for a few days and just pray. Pray for me, my family, uh, and pray for each one of you guys. Pray for this church. And I really sense strongly in my heart, God um, asked me personally a set of questions of what I had actually believed about him. Uh, what I believed, I thought others in the gallery believed about him. And I realized as God was impressing my heart now, as I was reading scripture in that time alone, that there was an invitation from God in scripture to know him, to deeply, intimately know him, to see his powerful work in us individually and in us as a church and here in the world. You see, scripture actually uses phrases like this. In Christ, if you're a Christian, in Christ, you are a new creation, a brand new species. You are radically transformed. You have been brought from the images like darkness to light, from death to life, from brokenness to wholeness. You've been made from slaves to saints, from rejected foes to sons and daughters of God. And now the spirit of God is living within us. But the truth is for so many of us, including myself, I used to think about this often as I was growing in my Christian walk two, three decades ago. Why don't I feel different? Why don't I look different? Why aren't my tastes and desires different. And you might find yourself in a boat where you feel as if you are a still prideful or struggle with ego or a greedy or you find yourself trusting in false saviors or having a lack of self-control. And the question we need to ask is, is that how it's supposed to be? That if in Christ we are new creatures, creation, and then there are those who are not in Christ, should we be looking the same? loving the same, walking the same? Of course, the answer to that is no. There should be a radical difference. And so I do believe that if we see that we are the same, if we don't see the radical change, that it is possible that we are missing out on living in the freedom and the joy of knowing this God because scripture teaches us that he calls us to actually know him. I love the text that we read last week where Jesus Christ invites us. He says, I'm going to go away, but don't be afraid because I need to go away so that you would have the comforter, the counselor, the advocate, where there's paraclete, the, the, the one who will be with you. You need him because when he comes, he uses this word, if you remember last week, guys, we circled that word. He says, it will be for your advantage, for your advantage. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, I need to go so that now you can experience the advantage that, that you would be experiencing a spirit, an environment, a walk that resembles that of an advantage because the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. Contrary to what you might think, Jesus is not here on the earth right now. He was very clear. He says, I'm going 
to the Father. And right now, the person of Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father, which leaves us to ask, who is here on earth with us? Jesus tells us, in the text Sam so beautifully read for us, the helper, the spirit of truth. Jesus defines in John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit. And so last week I shared with you that we have decided to take a deep dive into looking at who is this promised Holy Spirit. And we shared with you uh, that over the next 11 months, we're going to be taking a look from different angles at the Holy Spirit. And I think some of you went into panic mode thinking that for the next 11 months, we're just going to simply be talking about who the Holy Spirit is. And, and, and that is not true. Over the this week and next week, the desire is in the first part of the series, the promised Holy Spirit is to lay a biblical foundation of who he is. Because if we don't know who he is, then we won't be able to understand what he's come to do. And so for the first uh, three weeks of this series, we're gonna look at who he is, a biblical, doctrinal, foundational look at the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to take the next few weeks after that, seeing how the Holy Spirit has interacted with different people in scripture. And that should lead us to a few weeks before Easter. And then we're gonna dive in to see how the Holy Spirit transforms you and me to look like Christ. And that should guide us all the way till the end of May. And then after that, I'm gonna share with you the different things of how the Holy Spirit changes us as a community, as a body of Christ, how the Holy Spirit empowers us with spiritual gifts. And so we're going to take a look at different angles of how the Spirit that is functioning and working here on earth changes and transforms us. But we start with taking a look at who He is. You see, there's so many of us, when you bring up this topic of the Holy Spirit, because of our different church backgrounds, for many of us, we had mentioned that the, the word Holy Spirit, uh, uh, we get a bit uncomfortable when talking about him because one, I think um, we'd rather talk about Jesus. Um, we love Jesus. We love what Jesus has come to do. We love that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. And so for many of us, we are, we, we are uncomfortable talking about the Holy Spirit because we would rather talk about Jesus. Some of us, I mentioned, we're uncomfortable because we're just afraid. We're afraid of what it means for us to talk about the Holy Spirit because it might move us from a place of, I'm, I, I like the way my God looks and feels to God putting us into places where we are not used to. Environments where we're thrust into hearing him tell us to live a certain way or do certain things that we've tried to avoid and ignore. And I think some of us are uncomfortable with him because we just don't think we need him. We're, our lives are pretty good without him. And of course, there's some of you like me that the topic of the Holy Spirit uh, gets you so excited. It, it, some of you are saying, Stan Thomas, now you're speaking my language. Now, regardless of where you land on the spectrum, I believe it is important and it is, it is my desire that as we dive into the Holy Spirit, 
that the goal of this sermon and every sermon after this is to have our hearts be filled with worship. That we would see the one we worship a little bit clearer. That we would be able to dive in into deep intimacy and love with this God. That we would begin to delight in him. Full disclosure, you know, typically when I write my sermons, I tend to write them, uh, finally write them in the morning. And the reason why is because I made the mistake of starting to do it last night, just writing my sermon last night and in, in writing it, as I go through scripture, my, I just start bubbling up with so much joy that I, I can't sleep. I genuinely can't sleep. And so I've been awake for a few hours because as I begin to see who this God is, as I begin to go through these, these verses that I'm gonna share with you, my soul rejoices because this God is real. He's inviting me to know him. And so what we're going to do is this. We're going to, over the next year, open up scripture. We're going to do that starting today. Open up scripture and ask this book to guide us. We're going to ask this book to help us see who the Holy Spirit is. We're going to ask this book to teach us. So if those of you that have experienced the Holy Spirit in a positive light or negative light, whatever our experiences have been, we're going to use this book now to help us make sense of our experiences versus using our experiences to this book. And I think as we do that, we're going to see some things begin to change. For the longest bit, the Holy Spirit growing up for me was a power a feeling, a force. I used to use the, uh, the phrase it to describe the, it is here. The, the Holy Spirit is here, it. Because to me, the Holy Spirit was just this thing on the side, just trying to make me feel good, trying to give me just power to live. Listen, the Holy Spirit is not that. He's not just a feeling or this power. He does give me power. And when he invades me, I could feel him, but he is not an it. And the reason as we open up this book is this. As we look at who this Holy Spirit is, church, before we could answer the question, how do I experience the person of the Holy Spirit? Before we could answer the question, how does the Holy Spirit change and transform me? Before I could answer the question, how does the Holy Spirit change us to look like the kingdom of God as a church? Before we can go there, we've got to start with the question, who is the Holy Spirit? We've got to build a foundation. We've got to start with theology. As someone who's been in ministry for quite some time now, thinking about that, a little over 20 some odd years, bad theology, bad doctrine can be dangerous. Uh, there was a story, um, not a story, a, 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 an incident, 1979. Uh, for those of you that are history people, you would have read about this or remember it. Um, there was an uh, Air New Zealand flight 
that had about 257 passengers that was leaving from Auckland and going to Antarctica uh, to give a tour of Mount Rebus, which was a volcano on, uh, in Antarctica. And the night before this flight was supposed to leave Auckland, um, someone had entered in the coordinates of the flight that was to travel and they were off by a degree or two. And the pilots, as uh, they got into the plane next day, didn't know that the coordinates that were entered were entered just a degree off, just a degree off. And as this plane is flying down to Australia, uh, Antarctica, instead of landing or giving them a tour of uh, uh, showing them flying over Mount Erebus, just being a degree off, the plane crashes into the volcano and all 257 passengers were killed. I know that's a, a very jarring image, but I want you to know, I believe the same about when we dive into understanding who God is, that it is vitally important that we don't look at things like doctrine and go, when we are trying to understand the Holy Spirit, that we go, Doctrine kills things of the spirit. I used to hear that when I used to travel as an itinerant. And I would visit people that were very much loving the Holy Spirit and loving the, the beauty of the spirit. They would say things like, Stan, doctrine kills the Holy Spirit. Theology kills the Holy Spirit. And I would ask them, how do you know there's even a Holy Spirit? That's doctrine. How do you know that this Holy Spirit can speak to you? That's doctrine. So lest we think that we are far more spiritual because we are, not, we are not into that theology and the doctrine, let me tell you, every one of us is governed by some doctrine. And so as we open up this book, I pray that we would see, as J.I. Packer says in his book on the Holy Spirit, that all of us, all of us has this God meter in us, all of us are born knowing there is a God. Romans 1 says, look at creation. But Packer says, scripture becomes the lens that gives us focus on who this God is. And so that's what we're gonna to start to do over the next 20 minutes or so. Get a bit of focus this week and next week and begin to ask, who is this Holy Spirit? And if there's one verse that I want us to govern our time as we answer that question, it is Deuteronomy 29, 29, where God says to the children of Israel that he reveals truth to his children. He reveals himself. And so this is not me trying to find and fish through to say, I think this is God revealing. No, this is God saying, I want to reveal myself to you. So let's begin. John chapter 14. By the way, if you have your Bible, if, I want you to grab a pen if you can, if you've got a notebook, if you've got paper. Uh, we're going to be scribbling a bit on our paper, uh, if that's uh, an easy way for you to learn. But I want you to begin to just write down some of the things we talk about to anchor us on this journey together as a church. So John chapter 14, let's take a look at the verse, verses Sam so beautifully read for us. Look at verse 16. And verse 16 says, and I, circle the word I, if you don't mind, and put the words Jesus. Jesus is speaking these words. He's about 
to die. These are his final words to his disciples. And this is what Jesus says, and I, circle that, will ask the Father, circle the word Father, if you don't mind, and he will give you another helper. Underline the word another, circle the word helper. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Underline that word forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Underline dwells with you and will be in you. And jump to verse 26. But the helper, circle that word helper, the Holy Spirit, circle that word Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, remember what we said last week from John 16. There's a thinking we have that if Jesus was with us, life would be so much easier. Like if I could actually have been with the disciples and seen the miracles, John 11, raising up Lazarus, Mark 1, casting out demons, if, uh, uh, John, uh, John 4, uh, meeting the Samaritan woman and seeing initial conversion take place. Like if I could witness that, man, I wouldn't doubt. And yet Jesus says this to the disciples, I need to go so that you would be at an advantage. Remember that. That we are actually as Christians in 2021, living in an advantage. And the question is why? He shows us. You are in an advantage because verse 16, I am sending you, the father is sending you another helper. He's sending you someone else, the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I had you underline the word another, because it's easy for us to think another can mean less than or someone else, and it's nothing like Jesus. But that word another in the Greek actually means another just like the first. One who is the same. Now, you, you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm first a pastor before I'm a Bible teacher, so I'm gonna pause and sidebar. Gallery, I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Jesus says, one who is like me is with you right now. If we really believed that, how would we live? Let me ask you, friends, that right now, another like Christ, that the spirit of God is with you, how would that change how you live? Right now in your home, when you go out to walk, when you sit down to eat, when you're facing deep anxiety, when you're angry at the way you might have been hurt, when you're terrified of what tomorrow can hold or when you're celebrating good news. How 
How would we live if I told you right now that another same like Christ is with you? All of a sudden, a verse like Romans 8, 11, the same power, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. It would change me, wouldn't it? And it would change how I pray, how I live, how I love. Now, remember, the reason I had you circle certain words is because last week we touched on this picture that Jesus was showing us, where Jesus said, I'm going to the Father. The Father will send the Spirit, and the Spirit will teach you everything I have been, will remind you everything that I've been teaching you. And here again, we see three people rise to the top. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father to send you the Spirit. We see that picture again in the first scripture that Sam read for us at the baptism of Jesus Christ. John said, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That word baptize, baptizo, means to violently submerge. If you want to use it correctly in a sentence, you can say something like, the Titanic was baptized. And this one who is coming is going to violently submerge you in the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus gets baptized, this is what we see. The sun goes under the water and comes up. And a voice comes from heaven, that of the Father. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon Jesus Christ. Today, I want us to take a look at the doctrine of the Trinity. Because for us to understand who this spirit is, how he's not a power or a, a force or a feeling, how he's not an it, or how he's not less than Jesus. I'd rather talk about Jesus. How he should not be boxed in because of what I'm comfortable with. Or how he should not be relegated to our closet because I just don't need him. In order for us to truly be convinced, it is to our advantage that we need the spirit and we need to see a deeper study of this picture of the Trinity. And so we begin, we begin. I'm gonna open up my whiteboard just for a few moments and I'm gonna close it out but as we look at this doctrine of Trinity, we begin with full disclosure. The word Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible. And before you say, haha, therefore then how can we believe this or understand this concept? The word Bible is also not mentioned in the Bible and nor is providence or a word like sovereignty. Um, we know he is sovereign, but um, 
the word Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible, but yet all through the Bible, the doctrine is evident. The apostles affirmed the doctrine of the Trinity. They believed or understood the doctrine of the Trinity. Because when you read things like in first, second Corinthians chapter 13 verses 14, we see Paul's benediction. It's the famous benediction that's typically spoken everywhere. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forevermore. And so when you look at the Bible, when you look at the baptism of Jesus, when you see the words of Jesus Christ, we see the doctrine of the Trinity rise to the top. Now, this word, of course, was phrased about a hundred or uh, some odd years later, but you had early church fathers that, that saw this doctrine play out and knew that it was necessary and important for us to see and believe in order to govern our faith. And I'm going to explain why in a bit. But we start off with the question, What is the Trinity? Just to make sure we're on the same page. And this is how we define the Trinity. The Trinity is God eternally existing in three distinct persons who are divine, each fully God, but only one. What? <laughs> In other words, that the Trinity is, there are, there is one God. There is one God. And there are three distinct persons in the Godhead. There is one God, but there are three distinct persons in the Godhead. But each of these distinct persons is God. And so the equation of the Trinity goes something like this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit equals one God. Now, for those of you that are any math majors, you're going to look at me and say, standards, <laughs> New York City education has not done you well. But we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to break this down a bit more. The doctrine of the Trinity is that there is one there is one God. So here are Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. We are a monotheistic religion, but inside the Trinity, there are three distinct persons that are divine, and yet put them together, it is still only one God. You might have heard different ways to explain that. Someone will say, 
I'm Stan Thomas. I am a father, I am a son, and I am uh, a brother. Or people might use the picture of uh, water. It is uh, liquid, it is gas, it is uh, 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 solid when you freeze it. But I'm gonna say something to you. All of those metaphors are weak and they're broken. The picture of the Trinity is evidenced at the baptism of Jesus. The picture of the Trinity is evidenced in the words of Jesus. The picture of the Trinity is evidenced when you look at scripture and you see that there is a Father, Son, and Spirit all functioning in different offices, but yet only one God. I can draw you one more picture. That in the Trinity, you have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Spirit. The Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Spirit, the Son is not the Spirit. In other words, each person has a specific role in the Trinity. Each person has a different function. There is a lot of overlap because of the God nature, but they are specifically here to do specific things in, through, for us. But at the same time, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. And so you hear things like this. When I pray to the Father, I do it in the name of the Son by the power of the Spirit. Or the words of Jesus, I am going to the Father, the Father will send you the Spirit, and the Spirit will remind you all that I have taught you. Or, Jesus Christ, obeying the Father, came down to earth to die for our sins. And it is the Spirit that awakens us to become sons and daughters of God. The Father sends the Son. The Son obeys the Father till death on a cross. And the Spirit is the one that illuminates the work of the Son for us. Everyone plays a different function. Another way you could see the work of the Spirit and the Father. The Father sends the Son. Imagine walking into a cathedral, a gorgeous, beautiful cathedral, that's been painted, but the lights are all off and it's completely black. And you turn on the lights. You're not staring at the light bulb, you're staring at the gorgeous picture, but you need the light. And so you can see it as the father sending the son, but we need the spirit to turn on the lights to see the work of the son. In other words, you see the Trinity full in play. And I'm gonna use this word, Though I've given you all of that, it's still a mystery. There are moments where I'll pause and I'll go, there's no way man could have made this up. This is too complicatedly interesting for it to be conjured up in man's mind. 
This is a God thing. This is truly and beautifully a God thing. And when we look at the Trinity, this is what we see. We see among the Father and the Son and the Spirit, this divine dance taking place. That in the Trinity, you see love, equality, you see community, you see fellowship, you see unity. That in the Trinity, you've got deep intimate love. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. You've got community and fellowship. You've got in the Trinity, unity in the middle of diversity. The Father is different than the Son. The Son is different than the Spirit. And yet you've got them united, equal, but different. You've got fellowship in the Trinity. It is this beautiful divine dance. Now, hear me, gallery. The question becomes this. Why do we need the Trinity? We need this divine dance. We need the Father, Son, and Spirit. The Trinity is fundamental to our faith because it provides us something unique that no other monotheistic or polytheistic faith has. It provides us an insight and beauty to who God is and who we are. What do I mean? Why do we need it? Number one, without the Trinity, God loses his independence. What do I mean? You see, outside of the Trinity, how does God love? How does God love? He can't. Which is why fundamentally at the core of other monotheistic religions, God is not a God of love. He's a God of power. In Islam, he is merciful, he's benevolent but he is not love. What, what do I mean? Outside of the Trinity, if the father didn't have the son and the spirit loving, he would be lacking love. And so he would need to create us to actually express love. Without us, he has no way of expressing love. With, without us, if the Trinity does not exist, how does the father have community? How does the God, how does God have community? How does he have fellowship? And so all of a sudden you see that God doesn't need us to embody love. He has it within himself, the Trinity. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Father. Without us, God still has community. There is fellowship and unity in the Trinity. So without the Trinity, you've got a God that is ultimately limited and loses his independence, right? The second thing is this. Without the Trinity, you've got issues with Imago Dei. You see, you and I are created in the image of God. And you know what that means? That there are two things we long for. We long to be loved and to love, and we long to be with others. 
community and love. And the reason we have those innate desires is it's already in the Trinity. To be created in the image is for us to reflect who God is. And that means God is a God of love. He has it already because he doesn't lose his independence in the Trinity. And he's got community. And so when you and I are created in that image, we desire love too. We desire community. Not only that, but if the Trinity is not true, then the work of salvation falls apart. Because the death and resurrection of Jesus, the death of Jesus would not be enough because it would be mere man dying for us, wouldn't it? The equivalent of me saying, I love you and jumping in front of a car. What's the point of that? Without the Godhead of the Son, the Father, and the Spirit, the work of salvation and redemption and atonement would be broken. The death of Jesus would not be enough. And right now, we would not be illuminated to the eternal work of Jesus without the Godhead. Now, there's so much I can do, but I'm going to pause right there because I'm looking at time and, and I've got maybe I'm one minute behind, but I've, so I've got two more minutes. So why am I sharing you all of this with you? I'm sharing all of this with you because if this is true, then the spirit is God. Not an it, not a power, not a force, but God himself. He is fully He has the traits and the characteristics of God. If you don't believe me, even look at a ch chapter like Acts 5. Remember when we read in Ananias and Sapphira when they cheated the church by keeping back some portions of the money and lying about it? What does Peter say? You have lied to the Holy Spirit, verse 3. And then in verse 4 says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Don't you know you lied to God? And the reason this is important is because now this fundamentally shifts the way we view the Holy Spirit, because if he is the third person of the Trinity, he's fully God. That means, ready? Let me just get a new screen. The Holy Spirit, he is creator. Genesis 1, 2, and verse 26. That the earth was without void and form, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Verse 26, God says, let us, look at that word, look at the plural, let us make man in our image. That means the Holy Spirit didn't show up on the day of Pentecost. He always was. He is creator, was a part of creating the world. Not only that, the Holy Spirit is life giver. Look at Job 33 verse 4. Job says, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty God has given me life. He is life giver. He gives us life. Not only that, he is eternal. We read it. Sam read it first beautifully. John 14, the spirit will be with you. What's the word? Forever. Forever. There is no birth or death for the spirit. Not only is he eternal, but he is holy. Romans 1 verse 4, I pray that you will be filled with the spirit of holiness, the Apostle Paul says. Not only is he holy, but he is omnipotent. 
In other words, he is all powerful. Zechariah 4, verse 6. Remember that famous verse, O Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He is all powerful. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. My favorite psalm, Psalm 139, verses 7 to 8. The psalm is saying, where can I go? How shall I flee? Whether I make my bed up in the heavens or down in Sheol, you are there. You are everywhere. The Holy Spirit is also all-knowing. Oh, I've changed the color there. He is all-knowing. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10, and the Spirit searches everything. The Spirit searches everything. Finally, I'll just line here, actually two more. The Spirit is a part of the redemption plan. Galatians 2 says to us, Galatians 4, I'm sorry, says that the Son was sent by the Father. And it is the Spirit in us that cries, Abba, Father. And then finally, my favorite, you know I've got to land here. The spirit is love. The spirit is love. I was actually reading one of my commentaries and I didn't know this. Uh, Augustine actually, St. Augustine uh, gave the name, the Holy Spirit. He would call him two names, love or gift. The reason he would call it love or gift is because Augustine would say without the Trinity, Without the Trinity, love could only come after power. Without the Trinity, love could only come. In other words, God would need to create us without the Trinity, without God having love, if it's no Trinity, God would create us first, then to love. And how does he create us? With his power and his might. And Augustine would say, if God first functions with power before love, that he is no different than any other gods of the world, than Zeus or any other Greek and Roman gods. He is of sheer brute and power and force and creation for him is an afterthought. And so this is what he says. His interpretation of John 4, verse 7 to 13, we're not gonna read it. It's a famous verse, God is love. And we are, called to, we are called to love one another because God is love. But he, he reminds us in the last verse that this is what it says. That because God is love, we must love one another as God has loved us. And he says, this is why. Because he has given us his spirit. That it is the Holy Spirit that actually helps us not only love one another, but experience God's love. He says, in the Godhead, the Spirit is love. Now, I land here. Thank you guys for bearing with me. The question becomes this. That's all wonderful, Stan. I can see who the Spirit is. Now, 
where does this work in my life? And that's what our goal is in the next few weeks. But I want you to hear the words of Jesus again. It is to your advantage I give you the Spirit. It is to your advantage. Do you know what 1 Corinthians 6.19 says? Jesus says, it is to your advantage. And you know how it's your advantage? I have to go. I've got to leave. How? How are you leaving, Jesus? I'm going to go back to the Father through the way of the cross and the empty tomb. I am going to pay your penalty of sin on the cross. I am going to die the death you deserve. I am going to rise again, defeating sin and the grave. And I'm going to go back to the Father. Why? So that when he sends the Spirit, everything I listed, that third person of the Trinity, he's not just going to chill in the corner, but 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, don't you know that you, put your name there, don't you know, Stan Thomas, I can see your names on the screen, so I'm just going to call it out. Don't you know Jen Clapp? Don't you know Jordan? Don't you know Annette? Don't you know Jen? Don't you know Jason? Don't you know Park Slope House Church? Don't you know Cassie? Don't you know Emily? Don't you know Kurt? Don't you know? Don't you know Kyle? Don't you know? Don't you know that you are the temple of the living God? That God the Spirit resides in you. That the omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, creator, eternal, holy, loving God lives in you. It is to your advantage. How can we be the same? Gallery, my prayer is this morning that God would wow us, that we would have a new vision of his spirit, that we would build a foundation on this journey to know him more, a true doctrinal foundation that gives us a picture of who he is. And this is my homework assignment to you this week. It's just one. Would you ask God in prayer this week, every day, Ask him, help me see the Holy Spirit for who he is. Take a moment this week to repent. I join you in that repenting. Repent for limiting, repent for doubting, repent for being afraid or uncomfortable and ask him, lead my heart to worship. Let me experience you. Let's pray. God of glory, we thank you today for the glory of the Holy Spirit that invites us to see a God who is real. Glory be to the Father, glory be to the Son, and glory be to the Holy Spirit who was and is and is to come. Continue to teach us, Lord. We want to know you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.